0: thank you everybody for joining us here at the national shrine of divine mercy i'm father chris alar one of the miriam priests of the immaculate conception coming to you live with some brave souls Well, actually, several brave souls that made it with us in the snowstorm here in Massachusetts. So praise be to God. Drive safe wherever you are, and we're grateful that you are with us. As you saw on the topic slide, today we are going to be talking a piggyback off of last week's talk about Russia and the Ukraine, um, that at the heart of this is the Catholic and the Orthodox Church. And what a lot of people don't understand is that the Eastern Catholic Church and the Orthodox Church, which is not Catholic, are similar but different, and they split a thousand years ago. So we're going to talk a lot about this and um, and it give you some understanding of what's always been confusing to 99% of Catholics, myself included. So we're very grateful. This was one of my favorite courses in seminary when we learned about the structure of the church and the three Christian churches in the world, Protestants or should say uh, religions, the Catholic, the Orthodox, and of course, the group of Protestants, which consists of many. So we're going to talk about that today. And God bless you for being with us because, you know, a lot of people wrote me and said, Father, you're picking on the Orthodox Church from my talk last week. No, it's a beautiful church we're going to talk about it today and remember what i pointed out with some words of a particular patriarch it's the same with our catholic church we have a beautiful church but sometimes priests and bishops say things that are not accurate or even true and so that doesn't make the faith wrong so that's not what I went last week with the Orthodox it's beautiful and let's talk about it today as we begin with a prayer in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit amen Heavenly Father we ask that you bless us abundantly bring peace to the nations as we come to you our our gift of divine mercy You said mankind would not have peace until he turns with trust to your mercy. We are today, Lord, turning with trust to your mercy. We ask blessings upon the Russian and the Ukrainian peoples, especially for the conversions of those who are away from you. And we ask all this through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. All right, so this is very important. And at the end of today, so what I'm going to do is walk you through what the Orthodox Church is, then the Eastern Catholic Church, and then put it together what it means today for what's going on in Russia and the Ukraine. So, important stuff. Now, Christianity is the largest religious group in the world. People think it's Islam now. It's not. Christianity is the largest religious group in the world. A third of the world's population is Christian. Now, amongst that is the Catholic church, number one, by far the biggest, the Catholic church. Now, there was only the Catholic church for a thousand years after Christ. Then from that splintered off the Orthodox church. Okay, we'll talk about that. That was now the second group of Christians, and they were a partial splinter. Then in 1519, there was a full splinter, and with the Protestant Reformation and all of those churches then fully separated. So we have three groups of Christianity we have the Catholics, the biggest, we have the Orthodox, which partially splintered away from the Catholic Church, and then Protestants, which are 40,000 denominations, mixed bag, added together, don't equal the size of the Catholic Church, but yet are Christians. So we have to understand how this comes together. What I mean by Christians is that they believe in Jesus Christ, but there's a lot of differences that, that we need to know for salvation, and those are found fully in the Catholic Church. So we have to look at this and say, what does it mean, Father? And what do I have to know? And why is this important today? Okay, now the latter, uh, those two, the Protestants and the Orthodox Churches, split in 1054, the Orthodox split, and in 1519, the Protestant split. All right, now today, though, we are talking about the split with the Orthodox Church. We'll do another talk on Protestant and the Reformation later, uh, but today we'll talk about the orthodox and what it means in russia and ukraine okay first of all we as catholics don't understand the orthodox church very well what is it about them what is similar what is different now they are not catholic they are christian but both us catholics and orthodox have valid holy orders so valid priesthood they have apostolic succession Their priests, just like our priests, are traced back to the 12 apostles, all right? They have valid sacraments, all right? They have, we have both valid sacraments, and we have basically the same theology. Well, if you're listening to this, and of course, the same faith in Christ. So if you're listening to this, you're probably saying, well, then what the heck happened? Why was there a division, and why is this division causing such world unrest right now, especially in Ukraine and Russia. All right, to understand this, I'm gonna give you a little bit of a history lesson. So before we get to the bigger picture and what it means today, let's go back in a little bit in history. Now you might get yawny here and start yawning, but this is so important. Try to hang with us for just a few minutes. All right, Christianity became the official religion of the Roman empire in 313, by Constantine. No, I get these letters all the time. Constantine created the Catholic Church. No, he didn't. The mass existed long before Constantine was ever born. Okay. Christ established the Catholic Church through appointing Peter as the head, establishing the mass and the priesthood at the Last Supper, um, ordaining the first bishops. We can go on and on. Constantine did not invent the Catholic Church. What he did was made it legal and the official religion of the Roman Empire in 313. Now, here's what happened. Just a few years later, in 395, this empire split. So the Roman Empire that we knew for centuries, all of a sudden in 395, splits into the East and the West. We have the Eastern... Uh, roman empire which remained in rome which was always the head of it but then in the east constantinople modern day istanbul in turkey became the headquarters of the eastern empire so western uh, roman empire was headquartered in rome eastern roman empire was headquartered in constantinople there was a split now why is this important okay after this the western Roman Empire collapsed. Rome fell, not even a hundred years later, in 476. This is all documented. Now, when the West fell, guess what happened? The East in Constantinople continued. They called it the Byzantine Empire. You ever hear of the Byzantine Church? The Byzantine Empire. And it still remained headquartered in Constantinople. Okay. So you're getting the picture here. Now, Byzantine often referred to itself as the second Rome. So we had the first Rome. Then we had the Byzantine Empire in Constantinople. They call themselves the second Rome. They said it's a revision of the first Rome. And guess who calls themselves the third Rome? Russia. 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 Now, this is very interesting because I took a lot of flack when I brought up Medjugorje, but remember Medjugorje has not been condemned or approved fully yet. Partially, it has been approved. And in there, Mary said, Russia, after spreading her ears, will come back to God and will bring glory to God. Russia calls itself the third Rome. So hang with us because we're going to come back to that now. The patriarch of Constantinople, the head of the Eastern Church now, served under the Eastern Roman Empire or emperor. So picture this now. You have the Pope in Rome in the Western Church. Now it splits. Now you got the Eastern Church. You've got Constantinople, the Byzantine Empire and the head of that empire is the emperor of the eastern empire or the eastern roman empire now here's the thing here's where trouble started in the east that emperor wielded tremendous power over the church that emperor didn't leave the church alone that emperor controlled the church dictated appointments and ordinations this is what putin is doing today people don't understand what's happening is putin is supporting the orthodox church to return to this former glory he stated this please don't crucify me i'm just repeating his own words to bring back the glory of russia and in that glory of russia and that glory of the Tsar, and we'll get to all this was overseeing the orthodox church now that doesn't make the orthodox church bad Okay, please don't don't take that the wrong way. All right, some emperors of the East now, all right, claim to be equal in authority to the 12 apostles. Check this out. And they claim to have the power to appoint the head of the church in Constantinople. So the equivalent of the Pope in Rome was called the patriarch of Constantinople. So the two are... are are happening in Christianity at this time. You got the Pope overseeing the Western church. Now at the East, you have in Constantinople, the patriarch of Constantinople, what they saw as equivalent. Now this church in the East is being overseen by the emperor, not by the church. Like the Pope is the ultimate authority in the West, not in the East, the emperor was. This is the problem. When we want to say how beautiful this is, we have to realize the state should not be running the church. This is the whole issue right now. What's going on in Russia? The state wants to run the church. And even their patriarch of Russia, uh, Kirill, has stated this is such. Now, let's keep going. All right, these emperors claimed to have equal authority and put themselves as head of the church. Kind of like what's happening in China today. Funny, it's happening in both Russia and China. Now, these two offices, meaning the patriarch and the emperor, they were autonomous, they were different. But yet, the patriarch served under the emperor. That is not what God intended. That is not what God intended. And it's not what the Orthodox Church intended. So I'm not criticizing the Orthodox Church. I'm not condemning it. I'm not faulting it. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying what they were forced to do and serve under the emperor was not what was intended for the church. The patriarch was supposed to rule autonomously. Okay, now, many patriarchs though of Constantinople, they were good. They were good bishops, they ruled well, and they resisted this meddling of the emperor. The patriarch of Constantinople often attempted to bolster his position to stand up to the emperor. And sometimes this is scary. This is why we're saying that the state shouldn't run the church. You know, this whole separation of church and state that everybody points to in the Constitution of the United States, which, first of all, doesn't appear in the Constitution, and they say that protects the state from the church. You can't mention Jesus. Actually, the separation of the church and state is not to protect the state from the church, that you can't mention Jesus. Separation of church and state is to protect the church from the state so that you don't have the emperor, the president, running the church. That is what's supposed to be set up. Now, <clears throat> here's the thing. This patriarch would sometimes bolster himself in leveraging, trying to deal with the emperor, and a lot of times that caused conflict with Rome because he tried to put himself over and above everything just to fight off the emperor, and then it was conflicting with the pope. All right, so over years of conflict between the East and the West, the pope and the West, our pope, Remain firm, defending Catholic faith against heresies and secular powers, especially from the Byzantine emperor, the emperor of the Eastern Roman Empire. Now, this first conflict came when Emperor Constantius appointed a heretic as the patriarch. All right. Pope Julian in the Rome excommunicated that patriarch in 343 and constantinople was in schism until guess what john chrysostom you've heard his name some say chrysostom john chrysostom came and assumed the patriarch of constantinople in 398 now okay all that history the year you hear is probably 1054 that's the year that the church is split now let's look at our next slide and I'm sorry, I missed our picture of Constantine. If Brother Mark can put it up, there's our picture of Constantine, maybe he already got it. But there's a picture of Constantine who lived from 280 to 337. Now let's go to our next slide, 1054. All right, let's look at this. In 1054 is when the problem started. Do you notice on this slide, if Mark, Brother Mark can keep it on the screen, if you can see Italy, look at the little boot, right? Remember all Italy, the boot? Notice that the Catholic Church is to your left, the west, and the Orthodox Church is to the right, the east. But you see that little section of the bottom boot of Italy? You see how it's cut off there and it has an Orthodox shading to color? That is where it all began. So those of you from Italy, you probably know this. Now, here's what happened catholic normans kind of uh kind of barbarish took over the byzantine colonies in southern italy and guess what they made the people there eat okay here's the thing they made them used unleavened bread for the eucharist now if you don't know this we in the west <laughs> we Catholics use unleavened bread. Unleavened means flattened. That's why you receive the host. It's flattened in honor of the Jews, unleavened bread in the Bible, Old Testament. In the East, they use leavened bread. All right, thicker bread. It's, It's not flat. This is all it was. But this is very important to men of the church, following the tradition. All right, now, what happens was in Southern Italy, here come the Catholic Normans, they invade and they force the Orthodox to use unleavened bread. Now, some of you today might say, gee, that's a reason to cause schism. Well, listen to what happened. All right, the, basically the, um, the, 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 um, uh, the Orthodox got mad. So in response, and by the way, here's the next slide. There's leavened bread and there's unleavened bread. Leavened bread is thicker like the bread we eat. Unleavened bread is flat. Again, based on the tradition of the Jews, when they fled Egypt, they didn't have time to finish the bread. They took the bread with them. It was unleavened. That's how we get the tradition. That's Passover. At Passover, you eat unleavened bread. Now, in response to the Catholics making them use unleavened bread, the patriarch of Constantinople in the East ordered all the Western Rite churches in his area to use leavened bread so it was tit for tat, and so basically the Latins refused, so the patriarch closed their churches and sent a hostile letter to Rome and to the Pope, and in an attempt, the Pope sent a delegation, the delegation went to Constantinople, there was, this is all in 1054, I'll summarize it with this, they didn't work, they fought, The, um, the cardinal from the Catholic Church put a Declaration of excommunication on the altar um, and the altar of the church. In fact, that's our next slide. You ever heard of Hagia Sophia, the greatest church in Christendom at the time? There it is. That was the church this all happened. And so basically the Pope and the patriarch of Constantinople excommunicated each other. They kicked each other out of the church. Well, so history says but it actually was not exactly that way, okay? The patriarch did retaliate, the Catholic delegate, they were both hot-headed, and 1054 was deemed the year that the split happened. But it really wasn't. It was not officially a schism yet, because they still got along. People were excommunicated, not the church. Just because if somebody excommunicates you from and in your one right, and they excommunicate you, you're excommunicated as a person. You're not excommunicated as a church. So there was no way that the whole church was excommunicated. Just a few people. And so there was no single event that marked the schism. It just happened a little by little over the years. Now, here's the point. The official final break with Rome didn't come to the 1450s. Now, There's attempts ever since then to reconcile. There's been friendly relations. Now, the two parts of Christendom that were not conscious of the separation of each other made it kind of difficult to say there was a schism back in 1054. It really, as I said, developed. Now, what didn't help, I'll just throw a quick slide on this one, is the Fourth Crusade. If you haven't seen my talk online, the Fourth Crusade is one of the blackest eyes in Catholic and Orthodox history because we killed each other. Stupid. I have a talk on the Crusades. If you want to know what happened, basically Christians ransacked their own, their own city of Constantinople. But there was reasons behind it, not getting payments, lies. Uh, it was a mess. But anyway, that didn't help. So now, what's going on? All right. So what's going on is the Byzantine Empire collapsed. So remember how I said the West collapsed and then the Byzantine Empire kind of hung on? Now, a thousand years later, the Eastern Byzantine Empire collapsed. 1453. Guess what happened? The Muslims took over. The Turks. The Turks took over Constantinople. Now, the Turks controlling Constantinople, then the rest of the empire crumbled. Now, these Muslims pressured the churches in the area to sever their union with Rome. So what's really interesting, most of the schism, nobody says this, and I know I'm being politically incorrect, and I know I'll get letters, but the fact of the truth of history was it was a lot because of Islam. And Islam forced those churches, because now they controlled, to split, to go away from the Catholic church. Now, what happened? All right. There were more that than that, though. Not just that. Here's what else happened. Two other events reduced the patriarch of Constantinople, remember the head of the church in the east, to basically a figurehead. Kind of like the queen and king of England. They were powerful at one time, now a figurehead. So, Islam, let's go back to this, gave military protection to the Eastern Orthodox Church. This is who we're talking about now, but at a very high price. The sultan, the Muslim sultan, would sell the office of the patriarch. So, you know, all this talk we hear about the Catholic Church selling indulgences, which, by the way, was only, I think, one, maybe two priests in history And it was not teaching of the church was way less in comparison to the Sultan, the Muslim Sultan selling the office of the patriarch in the East. Do you know that he would change the occupants of the patriarch often and regularly for money, the highest bidder. So as soon as somebody came up with more money, they got to be patriarch. Is this what we want in our church? No, is this the fault of the Orthodox? Am I saying that they're a bad faith because of this? No, they were victims. Now, from 1453 to 1923, the Muslim Turks removed 105 of the 159 patriarchs. That is meddling, all right? Now, another blow that weakened the patriarchs authority came from Russia. And now we can tie some of this together. Ivan the Terrible, you've heard of him? Ivan the Terrible, his grandfather, Ivan the Great, became the first czar. You ever hear a czar? In Russian spelling, it's T-S-A-R. You know what it's in English? C-Z-A-R. And you know what it stands for? Caesar. The word czar is a Russian for Caesar. So this new czar took up complete control, like the new Caesar, the new Rome. Whoa! This is what's happening now. Moscow, Moscow called themselves the Third Rome, and the Caesar tried to become the protector of the Christian, the Eastern. Orthodox. Does this sound familiar? Does this not sound? All the letters that I'm getting, how beautiful what Putin's doing for Christianity. Okay. Yes. I'm not saying it's bad. Of course, it's wonderful to, to squash these immoralities of the West, abortion and transgenderism and, and redefining marriage. I couldn't agree more. I could not agree more. Those are problematic. And those are the topic of another talk. So please When you say, Father Chris, what about these things? I will get to them. I can't today, but we will. The point is, look what's happening. Putin stated, I want to return to this glory. He said the biggest tragedy of the 20th century was the fall of the Soviet Union. We need to return to the glory of the Russian motherland. Well, this is what it was. Ivan the Great becoming the czar and becoming the protector of Eastern Christianity. The problem with that is then Eastern Christianity becomes a puppet. Not because it's their fault. Their teaching is true. Their sacraments are true. Their priesthood is true. The communion is true. Their belief in Jesus is true. But we need to keep them independent. The problem is, right now it's not happening. Now, I listen to your emails, I read every one of your comments. And many of you have caused me to change my opinion on something. So many of you wrote to me about the true intent of Russia and what Russia is doing and bringing in Christianity that I looked and looked and studied and researched. This. I mean, I've done countless hours on this. Talked to theologians. And yes, I do believe that Mary's words at Fatima were true, that Russia was going to spread her errors. We've seen it. They've done it. But I also know that Mary at Medjugorje has said that Russia will then ultimately give glory to God. Could we be in that process? If we will get to that, we need to do our first Saturdays. We need to pray. We need to do penance. We need to stop the errors so that Russia can bring glory to God. We're not there yet. Well, Father, we're trying. Okay, that doesn't mean we kill innocent civilians. What it means is we pray and we do penance and we pray for the conversion of Russia. We do our five first Saturdays. All right, now, so what's going on? Moscow becomes the third Rome and this new czar becomes the leader of the Orthodox. Now, with the collapse of the patriarch in Constantinople, the Eastern Church then fragmented. What a mess. So Russia claimed independence from the patriarch of Constantinople. Russia split off. So now not only do you have Constantinople splitting off from Rome, now you have Russia splitting off from Constantinople. When did this happen? 1589. They were the first country to split from the patriarch of Constantinople. Now, then others followed. Now, over a dozen independent Orthodox churches exist. You may have heard them. The Greek Orthodox, the Serbian Orthodox, the Russian Orthodox. They're good people. I am not condemning this religion or their teaching, not at all. Please let me emphasize this. I got so many letters saying I do. I don't. It's beautiful. But what we're trying to do is bring us under union of where Jesus wanted us to be. Peter, the chair. That's what's being segmented. Now, this gets really interesting. Now, there are Orthodox churches in communion with each other and not in communion with each other. Russia, she's in communion with some. And she's not in communion with other Orthodox churches. All right, so I'm going to tell you a quick story about what's also happening in Russia. Did you know this? Do you know what's at the heart of all of this? All right, we're going to get right to it. And please, this is just fact. This is not my opinion. A few years ago, the current patriarch of Constantinople, yes, he's still there, even though it's been weakened. His name is Bartholomew. Patriarch Bartholomew, he approved a plan in 2018. We're just talking a few years ago. He approved a plan to create a single self-governing church in the Ukraine. All right? Led by its own patriarch, his purpose to unify the 30 million Orthodox in the Ukraine. Orthodox in Ukraine outnumber the eastern greek catholic church that's different we'll talk about that in a minute somebody wrote to me and and, and they're confusing the eastern catholic greek or uh sorry eastern catholic church what we call the eastern ukrainian greek catholic church versus the orthodox ukrainian church okay so let me try to explain this again Right now, a small percentage in Ukraine are Catholic. They are called the Ukrainian Greek Catholic Church. They are part of Rome. Then you have a much larger group, Ukrainian Orthodox. These are the ones that Bartholomew in 2018, the Patriarch of Constantinople, tried to say, I give you independence. Gather together, you 30 million Orthodox, and come together. The problem was the Russian Orthodox patriarch of Moscow was furious and cut ties, claiming that Bartholomew, as the patriarch of Constantinople, recognizing an independent Orthodox church in the Ukraine, not Catholic, independent Orthodox, departed from his authority. He was not allowed to do this. Russia took it as a slap in the face. All right. So the announcement removed the right of the Russian Patriarch of Moscow to ordain the Metropolitan of Kiev. This is all behind the scenes that people don't know about. So with this move, the Russian patriarch, which is now a guy by the name of Kirill, who is now the patriarch of Moscow, does not have the authority now, based on the movement of Bartholomew and his announcement, this Russian patriarch no longer has the authority to ordain the metropolitan of Kiev. Metropolitan is another head, like a patriarch. (coughs) Excuse me, like a patriarch. Now, this was a move, as I said, that Russia saw as a slap in the face. They saw it as infringement on their authority. Enter Putin. Putin accused the Ukrainian government of being behind this. He accused them of trying to destroy the Russian-affiliated church. So all of you who are writing to me saying, Putin is trying to stand for Christianity. Yes, the Christian church, but which church? the church of God or the church of Putin. Now, this doesn't mean that Russia is bad. This doesn't mean that Russia can't give glory to God. This doesn't mean that we can't pray and fast and, and, and do what they did in the Vistula for Poland and change this course. And so that there will be a conversion of Russia And Russia will bring glory to God. Father Chris, how dare you condemn Russia? I'm not condemning Russia. I personally believe they will bring glory to God. I believe the words of Our Lady at Medjugorje. I believe when she said Russia will bring glory to God. It's just not yet. Yes, I think the seeds are in place. Now, here's what's funny. I'm getting tons of letters from people who are screaming at me that Russia's not consecrated. But then in the same letter, they're telling me that Russia's standing up for Christian values. Don't you see that that might be the seed of consecration? Do you think that there is? Yes, there's a million problems in Russia right now. But if you think the seeds are there, they're against abortion. They're against redefining marriage. Doesn't that tell you that the seeds may have been starting to grow from a consecration? We don't know. But the question is worth asking. Fascinating, actually. And so the people who 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 send me these, these, these letters saying, Father, how dare you attack Russia? Russia, this, and, and they're standing for Christianity. But at the same time, they're telling me Russia's not consecrated. You couldn't have this if there wasn't some form of consecration. Russia was vehemently against Christianity under communism. Russia was vehemently against it. Now, some of that communism ideology still exists. Putin is former KGB the patriarch of Moscow, uh, Kirill. Many people claim is former KGB. I don't know for sure. So the communist ideologies are dying hard. That's the errors we talked about last week. And I stand by that. But I also, thanks to you, the listener, and all the letters you poured into me got me thinking, got me researching, got me studying, got me talking to theologians. And I'm like, whoa, I'm starting to see a bigger picture here these could be the fruits of the consecration father russia is against abortion russia is against redefining marriage yeah but that could be the seeds as i said of consecration so we have hope that russia will end up giving glory to god but right now we have to stop the killing that's why we're here all right amazing stuff amazing stuff okay now I even forgot where I'm at now. All right. So, all right. This announcement, let's go back to Bartholomew. I infuriated the Russians. All right. Now the infringement on the authority, Putin stepped in and said, you're trying to destroy the Russian church. Let's go to our next slide. Here is a picture of Putin with the patriarch of Moscow, Kirill. There they are together. All right. And Kirill continues to support the invasion of Ukraine. This is what I was saying last week is wrong. No matter what is being done in the Ukraine or mistakes they've made or how bad they were themselves, we don't stand by and watch innocent civilians get killed. That is the message. Now that's what the church says. That's what Pope Francis is saying. Now, both the Ukrainian church, Catholic Ukrainian Catholic Church and Ukrainian Orthodox Church condemn, I'm sorry, yes, the Ukrainian Orthodox Church it spun from Russia and the Ukrainian Catholic Church both condemn the invasion. That's why Putin and Kirill, Kirill wanted to become back to the, under the control of the Russian Orthodox. It makes perfect sense but nobody knows this because the media of course, isn't gonna talk about it. Most of our priests don't know about it. I didn't, I admit it. It took a hundred hours of research and communications and study and talking with theologians to try to piece this together. That's what I'm sharing with you now. All right, so let's go back to some of the problems that caused the split now. All right, a big one I can't not mention is the filioque. Anybody know what the filioque means? That's the theology problem. A major theological disagreement is the word filioque. That is Latin for meaning and the son. What am I talking about? All right. The Nicene Creed did not used to say the Holy Spirit proceeded from the father and the son. It used to just say from the father. The Spanish Catholic bishops at the end of the 6th century added and the son. With this addition, the creed says that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, proceeds not just from the Father, but the Father and the Son. Let's look at our next slide. You want to see the whole problem between the Catholic and the Orthodox Church? The entire problem, theologically, one little thing. That diagram. If you have your phone with you, you can see this one little diagram explains the entire problem, in theology, between the East and the West, that one little diagram. What it's saying for the Orthodox is that both the Son and the Holy Spirit come from the Father separately. So you have the Father, and from him comes the Son, and from him comes the Holy Spirit. That is the Orthodox view. The Catholic view from Augustine Is that the Father and the Son, the love between them is so great that from it, like a parent, the husband and the wife, the love between them is so great, from it comes a child. The Catholic Church teaches that from the Father and the Son, that love is so great that it's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the love between the Father and the Son. So if you look at the Catholic diagram, if Brother Mark can keep it up there, The Holy Spirit comes from both the Father and the Son. That's why at Mass every week we say, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, and with the Father and the Son is adored and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. That one little phrase, and the Son, threw this whole relationship into a theological nightmare. And what many claim caused the schism. All right, now here's the thing. The Orthodox say that the spirit proceeds only from the father, like the son does the Catholics pointed to scripture and said, it's no, it it, it comes from both. And, And I got a ton of scripture quotes that can prove that you can email me if you want them. The scripture basically points that it comes from the father and the son. Now that's how the church fathers taught it. All right. Now, The Eastern Orthodox often refer to the Holy Spirit referring to the Father through the Son. Now, wait a minute here. If the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father through the Son, the Orthodox are okay with that. Here's the point. That's very similar. And it is equivalent to our Catholics, the Father and the Son. And do you know that the Catholic Church even put this in the Catechism? Catechism 20, or excuse me, 248 says, this is not different theology. We're just using different words. Can you imagine this entire split over different words, but not different meanings? This is why we believe there will be a reunification of the East and the West. And when that happens, look out. That's going to be amazing. Now, today, there is every hope that the closeness of these two sayings will be recognized and mended. Now, they claim, well, wait a minute, you should never have changed the creed. They were upset that the Spanish bishops added that word to the creed. But you know what a creed is? A creed is your, your profession of faith. Have you ever heard that? We will now in the mass do the profession of faith. That means the creed. That means what you believe It is meant to fight heresy, so therefore it has to be amended and added to or taken away as heresy comes and goes. So there's nothing wrong with that. It should be, though however they claimed, done with their input. That was the mistake of the West. They did it without the input of the East. That's what upset them. All right, finally, ecumenical councils. What is an ecumenical council? That's like Vatican II, Vatican I, the Council of Trent. All right, now here's the thing. This is a bigger reason for disagreement. Both sides agree that ecumenical councils are needed to define the teachings of the church. But here's the point the Eastern Orthodox only believe in the first seven. First seven ecumenical councils, way back in the fourth and fifth, sixth centuries, the Three councils of Constantinople, the two councils of Nicaea, the councils of Chalcedon, and the council of Ephesus. Those seven, that's it. Anything after that, including Vatican II, they reject. People might be saying, well, gee, Father, I should become Orthodox because I reject Vatican II as well. Well, there's a problem with that because now you don't have that council to define church teaching. Everybody splinters on their own. Then you become like the Protestants. This is important. Catholics recognize these same first seven ecumenical councils, but not as only seven. The the point is, we believe all the way up to Vatican II because these, now there are some issues. Yes, and I'll get into that in another talk. All right. But they say there was no council since 787 and no teaching after the second Nicene council. All right. This is important, though, because we need to be able to define doctrine. And if we lose that, we're in trouble. And so we have to look at this. I'm I'm not saying necessarily Vatican II didn't have flaws. I'm just saying that you can't abandon the concept of the ecumenical council. And that doesn't mean um, ecumenical council means that we take the input from all these other religions and and change our teaching. Uh Uh-uh it means that it's universal for all the Catholic to define Catholic teaching. Now, the other big problem, the Pope, the Pope, which I'm also going to do a whole talk on. All right. The Orthodox claim that the Pope does not have ultimate authority. This is part of the schism. They say he has a primacy of honor, not a primacy of authority. All right. Here's the thing though. That idea of primacy of honor without authority is not biblical. It's not biblical. How do we know this? When Jesus spoke to Peter every time about his relation to other apostles, he emphasized Peter's special mission, not simply a place of honor, but a place of authority. How do we know this? Let's look at our next slide. All right. And uh, by the way, I apologize. I missed a slide on the Vatican II. Brother Mark can show it. That's the Vatican II. Look at all those bishops. Those are. That's an ecumenical council right there. That's an ecumenical council. That is what it comes together to bring you church teaching. Whether they didn't make mistakes or not, they are protected in official teaching of faith and morals. Now let's go to our next slide. What's Jesus doing there? This is biblical. Jesus is giving the keys of the kingdom to Peter in Matthew 16 19 Jesus gives Peter the keys to the kingdom and the power to bind and loose well father he also gave the other apostles the power to bind and loose yes he did but he never gave the keys to the other apostles never did so in Luke 22:28 Jesus tells the apostles <clears throat> that they will all have authority yes but he singles out Peter with a special authority over the other apostles to strengthen their faith Luke 22:31 it is only to Peter that Jesus says feed my lambs all right Feed my lambs, giving him the role of shepherd. He did not tell any other apostle to feed the lambs. That's the shepherd's job, and there's one shepherd. The absence of a pope from Eastern Orthodoxy clearly causes problems from a lack of leadership with no pope to call such things as ecumenical councils the orthodox haven't had one in centuries and this is paralysis I'm not criticizing them I'm not criticizing their teaching just saying that we still have to have teaching developed based on current events a functioning teaching authority capable of setting settling heresies and new controversies is needed This is why Jesus made Peter the rock in Matthew 16, 18, the direct leader of the church. Okay. You got enough of the history? All right. So now we're going to explain how these churches work together. This is the fun part. All right. Let's look at the Orthodox. First of all, what does Orthodox mean? That means right believing. I'm an Orthodox Catholic. I follow the church teaching. What the church teaches, I believe. It's not a blind obedience. It's because I trust and surrender that God knows better than I do. The word orthodox means you're right believing. Now, there are many Catholics who are not orthodox. Catholic priests and bishops, they're teaching abortion is okay. Redefining marriage is okay. That's not orthodox. But we're talking about orthodox faith now. Catholic and then the Orthodox churches, different. Same word, but capital O versus little O. Little O is the adjective. I'm little O Orthodox. And then the big O capital Orthodox is the churches. Now, the mainly had been used in Greek speaking world. Let's look at our next slide. That's why you see icons with Greek on it. These are the Eastern churches, you know, with the perfectly round heads. I did another talk on icons a couple weeks ago. That's why you see the Greek on them. They mainly were used in the Greek-speaking world. But here's the point, everybody. With 300 million Orthodox Christians in the world, and how many Catholics are there? There's over a billion. There's over a billion Catholics in the world. But the Orthodox are good. There's 300 million of them. And they're mainly in the Balkans. The Balkans, I should say, Middle East, and the former Soviet Union in those countries. See the connection? The former Soviet Union. Now, let's go to our next slide. Because the Eastern Orthodox churches now, not the Catholic, all right, are Constantinople, Alexandria, Antioch. You heard those in the Bible. Jerusalem, Georgia, Cyprus, Bulgaria, Serbia, the Serbian Orthodox, Russia, the Russian Orthodox, Greece, the Greek Orthodox, Poland, Romania, Albania, and the Czech Republic and Slovakia. All right. Now, these churches in modern times, tensions have been lessened and we're overcoming a lot of the difficulties. In fact, did you know in 1965, Paul VI, this is fascinating that nobody knows, Paul VI and the Patriarch of Constantinople lifted the mutual excommunications. That's a great start. Let's take a look at our next slide. Yes, we must continue to dialogue. There's Pope Benedict with the Patriarch of Constantinople. We must dialogue. It doesn't mean we concede. It doesn't mean we change our teaching to make other people happy. But we start with knowing each other. All right, so what are some of the similarities and differences? All right, this to me is the fun part. Um, Some of the similarities and differences. All right, many say that the Orthodox don't believe in purgatory, indulgences, papal infallibility, the immaculate conception, or the assumption. This is partially true. It's just they define it in a little different way. Yes, they don't use the term purgatory. Father, I didn't know that. I thought the Orthodox believed in purgatory. They don't use the word All right. Most of these are semantic differences and that's it. All right. Purgatory, for example, the Orthodox don't traditionally use the word purgatory for purification, but it's like the word Trinity. Trinity is not in the Bible, but the concept is. And so the word purgatory is not used by the Orthodox, but they believe in purification after death. They believe that purification happens. They pray for souls of the faithful departed, which makes sense only if they believe those prayers can help them. So they got to believe in some form of purgatory, even if they don't use the word. So if you're anti-Catholic, don't point to the Orthodox and say, see, they reject purgatory. They don't, they reject the word, not the concept. No matter what word we use, the reality is the same. We need to pray for the dead. This is second Maccabees. All right. Another difference. We have the Pope, centralized authority. They have no centralized authority. The problem with that, now you become like the Protestants. Everybody has their own version. You need a centralized authority. That's why Jesus put the Pope on front. This is a difference, all right? Patriarchs and metropolitans, their version of the church leaders, they're really mostly administration. They're really mostly administration. Now, that's not my words. This comes right from my seminary training. Now, one of the good things about the Orthodox, they have much more discipline than we Catholics in the West. They fast, what equates to believe this or not, almost a third of the days of the entire year. That's phenomenal. They fast for what equates to almost a third of the total calendar days in a year. That's unbelievable. I've never seen an overweight Orthodox. Now, sometimes there could be gland problems and stuff like that. Please don't send me the letters on that, please. I don't mean anything negative. It's just that they do have an amazing discipline to fast and to sacrifice. That's a big difference. Here's another difference. Let's look at our next slide. Do you know that the sanctuary is actually separated from the nave. What's the nave, Father? You people out here are sitting in the nave. The nave is the main part of the church. This is the sanctuary. Now, the Orthodox between the nave and the sanctuary have a big wall. Look at your slide. It's called, this is the uh, word, iconostasis. And this is a screen with a bunch of icons. All right. The iconostasis is a screen with a bunch of icons separating the sanctuary of eastern churches from the nave. That's a difference. It's so sacred to them. We in the sanctuary now don't hold that sta- in the west we don't hold that sacredness. I mean we walk into churches sometime and you most feel like there's people playing cards up in the sanctuary so a difference another difference children we in the catholic church wait till age seven for the age of reason before they receive the sacraments in the east in the orthodox it's right when they're babies they get the sacraments they get uh communion confirmation baptism all together as a baby so there's a difference there what about the sign of the cross did you know this Make the sign of the cross in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We went from the forehead to the chest, left shoulder, right shoulder. They go from the forehead to the chest, from the right shoulder to the left shoulder. Small but interesting differences. We sit and kneel at our worship. The Orthodox stand and prostrate. If we complain about kneeling, Go to an Orthodox faith, uh, church. They prostrate. Well, I can't get my clothes dirty, Father. They don't care. That is reverence. Very, very reverent. All right, more differences. Catholics, we use relics way more than they do. We have way more relics than they do. They don't, they don't, they don't have the same emphasis, but we have way fewer beards <laughs> than they do. <laughs> just, just a little, little levity there. All right, Orthodox. They have two kinds of clergy, white and black. Not ethnic, but white are married and black are monastic, not married. Wait a minute, Father, their priests can marry? Yes, if they get married first. Once you're ordained in the Orthodox Church, you can't get married after. You can only get Be married, if you're married first, then you can be ordained. That's why some friends of mine that were uh, in Philadelphia at the Eastern Orthodox Seminary, they took the fourth year of theology off to go find a wife. (laughs) It's kind of an unwritten, I don't know, smiling kind of tradition. That that's, that's your year to find the wife. If you don't, then you're done. Because once you're ordained, you're then celibate. But they'll use some of them, not all of them, not all of them, but some of them will use that time to go try to find a wife and then be ordained. All right. So you have the white clergy, which are married and the black, which are monastic. Catholics, we don't. We're all celibate. And trust me, I totally see the wisdom of that. Nobody wanted to be married more than me. And I said, you know what's going to figure? And the church can change this, you know, in the West. The Pope could declare priests can marry. He can't declare women could be ordained because Christ was a man and the person in Persona Christi as the priest. He can't change that. But the Pope can, a matter of discipline, not dogma and doctrine, but a matter of discipline could change it. The church could say tomorrow priests could marry. I kept stalling my vocation, hoping that the church would declare priests could marry. I was going to get married and then become a priest. Now that I've been a priest for eight years, there is no doubt in my mind God and the church know what she's doing. That is very important. All right. So, anyway, uh, ours do not marry. Now, is everything the same in our Bibles? Is the Orthodox Bible the same from the Catholic Bible? Very similar. Everything in our Catholic Bible is in the Orthodox Bible, but they add a few things. You know how we have, okay, this is interesting. The Protestants have no book of Maccabees. Martin Luther removed it. And the book of Maccabees was in the original scripture. Protestants remove it. So the one group of Christianity, the Protestants, have no book of Maccabees. We as Catholics have first and second Maccabees in our Bible. And the Orthodox have 1st, 2nd, 3rd, and 4th Maccabees. So a little different in scripture. They also have a Psalm 151. We have 150 Psalms. They also have the prayer of Manasseh in Chronicles and 1st Esdras in the book of the Bible. But our New Testament is all the same. All right, now, in the East, we are different from the West on what we call our worship. What do we call Sunday worship? The mass. In the East, they don't call it the mass. They call it the divine liturgy. Now, here's what's interesting. As a Catholic, can you go to it? Does the Eastern Orthodox Church allow you to go to their worship service? Yes, but they prefer you not receive Holy Communion. They don't. Now we in the West are much more open if an Orthodox wants to fulfill their obligation and come to our mass and receive the sacrament. Yes, they can, but they prefer us not to receive their Holy communion. All right. Although yes, it's true an individual clergy member of the Orthodox church may permit you to let's suppose you are traveling. Let's suppose, and and you can't find a Catholic church you're in uh, England or you're in the Middle East. You're in the Soviet Union, you're in Russia. And it's Sunday and you want to get to a Catholic church, but there isn't anyone for a hundred miles and you got a plane to catch, but there's an Orthodox church. If you have no other options, our Catholic faith teaches us that going there does fulfill your Sunday obligation, even if you don't receive Holy Communion. Now, if you're in downtown Detroit, where they have some of the most beautiful Catholic churches in the world, like Sweetest Heart of Mary and St. Albertus was there. And then they have an Orthodox church. I can't just say, hey, you know what? Let's go to the Orthodox church today. Even though you have easy access to the Catholic, that does not count for your Sunday obligation. Now, what's another reason they don't want you to receive communion? This one's very interesting. Do you know that married Orthodox priests and laity who serve at the altar follow the canons very strictly. And they abstain from sexual relations, marital relations before Holy Communion. So another reason they don't want us receiving Holy Communion is that's completely foreign to us in the West. Married couples are allowed to engage in the marital act right before. So you are probably not observing their discipline of abstaining from marital relations before receiving Holy Communion. It's another reason they don't want us to receive. So there are a lot of similarities and differences. Let's take a look at a couple. I saw this slide that summarizes them. All right. So brother Mark can put up the differences. What are some of the differences? All right. In the Roman Catholic church, we speak Latin in the Orthodox church. They speak Greek in the Roman Catholic church. The Pope is in charge In the Orthodox Church, it's the patriarch or the bishops, archbishops, as we explain. In the Roman Catholic Church, the Pope claims authority over kings and emperors. And this is the big one. In the Orthodox Church, emperors and presidents claim authority over the patriarch. Let me repeat that one. In the West, in the Roman Catholic Church, the Pope has authority over kings and emperors and presidents. Nobody's above the moral law. In the Orthodox Church the emperor's claim authority and precedence over the patriarch. That was the issue I brought up last week in the talk. Finally the priest cannot marry but in the Orthodox Church the priest can marry. Now let's go to our next slide because there are some similarities there's not just differences. What are the similarities? The big ones. We believe in Jesus. We read the Bible. We go and use the sacraments, especially baptism, marriage, and communion. We believe in the priesthood and the bishops, and we spread Christianity. This is what it's all about. All right, so real quick, and, no, and this is the part is, um, the, the Orthodox really believe in a genuine priesthood and a genuine Eucharist and a genuine service. It's very reverent. I want to show a one-minute clip Take a look at this clip. This is a video of the Russian Orthodox Divine Liturgy. It is breathtaking. Let's watch this one minute clip of the Russian Orthodox Church in their Divine Liturgy. Okay, now, wasn't that absolutely beautiful, reverent? But I have to be careful. I do a whole talk, you can reference it online, called, Is There Salvation Outside the Catholic Church? And the problem is, as beautiful as this is, they are in schism. The church teaches that when you separate yourself from the chair of Peter, which was established by Jesus Christ, not by man, not by Catholics, but by Jesus. If you separate yourself from that, you are in schism. And so we have to pray for the reunification of our Orthodox brothers and sisters. Um, We'll go into that detail much later. Um, But the problem was a lot of those Eastern churches left. They left the papacy, but here's the good news a lot of those churches came back starting in the 16th century. A lot of the churches that left because of Muslim pressure, they've been coming back to the Catholic church. Some churches now in the East are in union with the Catholic church. Once again, others still are not. All right. Those that are in union with the Catholic church are called Eastern Catholic. And I want to finish today I would be remiss if I described all to you the Orthodox, but didn't explain to you that the Catholic Church also has two groups. We have the Western Latin Rite and we have the Eastern Catholics, different from the Eastern Orthodox. That's where we're going to finish today. All right, so those in union with the Catholic Church are called Eastern Catholic, those who are not are still called Eastern Orthodox. Now, let's take a look at these Eastern churches. Our next slide. There's a beautiful example of an Eastern Catholic church. Okay, here's where we're going to finish. I bet you didn't know. I didn't know this till seminary. There are 24 different rites in the Catholic church. 98% of the world is Latin rite. That's you and me. If you go down to your corner and go to St. Joe's Catholic Church, most likely, or or St. Therese, or the Divine Mercy Parish, 98% chance you're going to a Latin Rite Western Catholic Church. That's us. 98% of the Catholics in the world are Latin Rite. All right? So the Catholic Church, though, actually has 23 other churches. You ever hear of the Byzantine? You ever hear of the Maronite? We're going to talk about these. All right. So we got the one big one, the Latin or Roman Catholic. That's why you're Roman Catholic. You go around looking for different churches. You're Roman Catholic. But all other Catholic churches, these 23 others, are called Eastern or Oriental. Oriental just doesn't mean Japanese or Chinese. Oriental means East. So we call them the Oriental churches. One person wrote me a scathing letter because I talked about the Oriental churches and they condemn the church in China. This Oriental doesn't mean China or just Japan or China. Oriental means any non-Roman Western rite. For instance, they recognize the authority of the Pope, but within the parameters of a common creed, all right? Each church has its own liturgy, devotions traditions but they're under Rome let's take a look at our next picture these are the patriarchs of the other churches you see that on the two ends are the Roman Catholics and in the middle are the patriarchs the archbishops they have their own traditions and liturgy they practice their own religion in a certain way, but they're true to the teaching. And every one of them is w- at least a thousand years old, twice as old as any Protestant faith. This shows that the Catholic Church is truly universal. We have these churches in Egypt, Syria, Iraq, Ethiopia, India. I begged Father Cass a couple years ago to please let me go to Iraq. Please, these Christians, these Catholics, these Eastern Catholics in Iraq, oh my, talk about the bravest people in the world. And I I wanted to go over there to try to help them. Father Kaz said no. At this point, that's very imprudent. Pray and sacrifice. You know, Vatican II says that this variety doesn't harm our unity, but nourishes it. All of the churches are of equal dignity to each other and to the Western church, but they are under the authority of the Pope. I got another very uh, angry letter that said, Father, how dare you say the Ukrainian Catholic church is under the Pope? We are under the patriarch. Yes, you are under the patriarch, but ultimately it's in communion with Rome. That's why they're called Eastern Catholic. Both their liturgy and culture, yes, is, is maintained, but the teaching is unified. All right, so let's talk about it, finish it. What are these rites? These rites are the Catholic Church. I mean rite, R-I-T-E. The rite, the Catholic rites. Okay, let's talk about this. These are the traditions of how the sacraments are celebrated. You go one rite, they'll celebrate the sacraments a little different, but the form and matter The way they do it may be different, but the actual content is the same. All right. In the context of individual cultures, yes, they may change some things, but they don't change the essential form and matter. These were the early churches of Rome, Syria, Egypt, Rome. You know, this is why it's heartbreaking to see all these nations fall to Islam, because Islam claims that this is Islamic territory. They were Christian. Catholic way before the even creation of Islam. All these rites are in use today, evolved from those churches. Biblical. All right. The Catechism says although particular churches possess their own hierarchy, meaning a patriarch, and they differ in liturgical discipline, they possess their own spiritual heritage, true they are all entrusted to the Roman pontiff. All right? The divinely appointed successor of St. Peter. All right. So let's finish with this slides, the last couple slides. The Eastern Catholic churches, who are they? They are not Orthodox. They are the Latin, that's us, the Byzantine, the Alexandrian, the Syriac, the Armenian, the Maronite, And the Chaldean. These are beautiful. And so brief few words on each one of these to finish. This is starting with the Latin. That's us. The Latin rite is headed up by the Bishop of Rome, the Pope. That is the largest. It was founded by St. Peter just after the death of Jesus. No other Christian tradition, Protestant or anything else, goes back to that. Even the Orthodox, who we know have apostolic succession, now do not put themselves under the chair of Peter. So, the current liturgy that we have in our Western Latin Rite was handed down from the earliest beginnings. After the Council of Trent, we could only use the Roman liturgy. The only exceptions were ones that were over 200 years old and were ancient rites. So, the Pope is the vicar of these, of us and them. All right? This is from before the Council of Trent. Now, here's what's interesting. He's also the vicar of those rites that came before the Council of Trent, such as the Mozarabic, the rite from Spain, or the Ambrosian rite from Milan, or the Bragan rite from Portugal. And all the other ones, even the ancient rites of the Dominicans, Carmelites, and Carthusians. You know, my friend, um, a friend of our family, um, the prior at the Wyoming Carmelites, he resurrected, the mystic monk coffee guys, he resurrected the old ancient Carmelite rite. And in the West, he's allowed to do that. Now, as the vicar of the universal church, the Pope is the shepherd of both the East and the Western Catholics. The Eastern ones... They are completely equal in dignity with us, but they submit to the authority of the papacy. All of those Eastern churches come under his jurisdiction of the Pope and the congregation for the Oriental churches. Oriental meaning Eastern. And that is a fact. So the rites are either administered by a patriarch, a major archbishop, or a metropolitan. All right. So that's the point. Now let's get to Byzantine. This is a biggie. This is the largest of the other rites. You've probably heard it before, the Byzantine church. The Byzantine liturgy was developed by St. James and was modified by St. Basil and St. John Chrysostom. It is nearly identical to the Orthodox church. If you go to a mass, you or a divine liturgy. You may not recognize the difference. The Orthodox churches, the Orthodox churches are ones that have a right very similar to the Eastern Catholics. And so we have to understand that those are very, very similar. Now the schism that took place, uh, the liturgy is, as I said, nearly identical. The schism that happened between Rome and Constantinople in 1054, many of these churches remain separated, but over the years, they came back. This is beautiful. And we want the rest to come back. So some of these that have come back, let's look at our slide. The Byzantine churches that have come back, the Albanian, the Belarusian, the Bulgarian, the Croatian, the Greek, the Hungarian, the Italo-Albanian, and I'm sorry I'm speaking so loud low because we have a conversation going on in the back. So sorry, I'm having to speak real loud here to, to be able to drown out the conversation. Um, the Macedonian, the Melkite Greek, the Romanian, the Russian, the Ruthenian, the Slovak, Slovak, and the Ukrainian Greek. That is what all the news is about right now this ukrainian greek catholic church is different than the orthodox ukrainian church that has been fighting with moscow this eastern catholic church the ukrainian catholic church the Ukrainian greek catholic church has condemned the invasion they have pointed out that the Russian invasion fails three of the four conditions for just war. The just war conditions one, two and four for a war to be just fail in the invasion of the Ukraine. And so we have to understand that. So anyway, let's go back then, that's the Byzantine. Brother Mark, if we could go back to the seven Eastern Catholic churches, the slide before that last one, and put it up in the corner. I don't know if we're able to do that. Um, the, back to the seven now. The Byzantine we just ex- described, the Alexandrian. The liturgy used by the church in Alexandria in Egypt comes from St. Mark. This church became known as the Coptic Church. You've probably heard that, the Coptic Church. Christians. They are the ones being absolutely persecuted like nobody in the world. Coptic is the Arabic and the Greek word for Egyptian. Now, I got another letter saying, Father, Coptics are Orthodox, not not Catholics. Do your research, exclamation point. I'm sorry, I get a little worked up when people fire exclamation points at me when they're not correct. The fact is there are Coptics in both the Orthodox and the Catholic. We have both Coptics. We have Coptic Orthodox, Coptic Catholic. They are Egyptians and they are being absolutely slaughtered for their faith. We have to pray for them. We have to pray for them. Um, in this, this is part of the Alexandrian. Uh, there exists in Egypt, this Coptic rite, as I said, is both of them. They are also in Ethiopia and Eritrea. Eritrea. Next is the Syriac, all right? The Syriac, this is from Antioch. This rite goes back to St. James the Apostle as well. This liturgy was used in Antioch in present day Syria. And many bishops also broke away at the Council of Chalcedon. They stopped using Greek and used their own Syriac language. The Syriac language is very similar to Aramaic, what Jesus spoke. Now, through the work of Jesuit and Capuchin missionaries, they've come back to Rome, many of them. This includes rites from India, and again, going back to St. Thomas, because remember, he was in India. All right, three to go. Armenian, you've heard of Armenian, Armenian, believe it or not. If I was to ask you what was the first country in the world to adopt Christianity as their official state religion, what would you have guessed? The very first country in the world to adopt Christianity as their state religion was in the fourth century, Armenia. You know where uh, Mother Teresa was from? No, she was Albania, I think. But Armenia was the first. They used the Antiochian liturgy of St. James and the Armenian language in Turkey. They also fell into heresy after the Council of Chalcedon and declared that they were separate. The Turks massacred 2 million Armenians at the end of World War I. You don't learn this in the history classes anymore. All we hear about in the history classes is social justice. We don't hear anything about the two million Armenian Catholics that were slaughtered by the Turks at the end of World War I. Most of these now live in Lebanon. Lebanon is very strong Catholics. Still not a majority. Last two, Maronite. You've probably heard of the Maronite right. That traces itself back to St. Maron, M-A-R-O-N, the fourth century, who founded a monastery just east of Antioch in Lebanon. One of the great, I think he's from Lebanon, or is he Syria, Lebanon, is St. Charbel. Awesome saint. So anyway, they never fell into heresy, And they were only separated from Rome because of the Muslims. Well, they found their way back. And using a liturgy based on the Antiochian of St. John James, the Maronites make up 70%, 17% of Lebanon of all the people of Lebanon. They make up 17% by the law of that country. Listen to this. This is fascinating. I didn't know this by law in Lebanon, The president has to be a Maronite Christian. The president of Lebanon. We always think of Lebanon as terrorism and, and paganism and Muslim and Islam. The actual president of Lebanon has to be a Maronite Christian. By law, then by law, the prime minister has to be a Sunni Muslim. And by law, the president of the National Assembly has to be a Shiite Muslim. Talk about ecumenical. (laughs) So the president has to be a Maronite Christian. The um, prime minister has to be a Sunni Muslim. And the national assembly, the president of the national assembly has to be a Shiite Muslim. That's in Lebanon. And lastly, Chaldeans. The Chaldeans. These are people in modern day Iran and Iraq, once known as the Assyrians. Remember in the Bible, the Old Testament, the Assyrians. This is the people coming back to God. So do I think there's hope for Russia? Absolutely. Do I believe they will return to God? Absolutely. People are angry at me. I just keep praying that we stop the killing. That's not the way to bring them back to God. God can't be a part of that. So these Chaldeans in modern-day Iran and Iraq were the once known as Assyrians. The, the people in this area fell into heresy in the 5th century, but with missionary efforts they came back to Rome. That's why missionaries are so important. And in 1553, Pope Julius III proclaimed the first patriarch of the Chaldeans. You know the Chaldean is the biblical term also used for Babylon. Babylon. And today, the patriarch of this rite, guess where he's located? Baghdad, Iraq. Can't think of anything more courageous. This includes the Malabar rite, which is also based in India. They are descended from the St. Thomas Christians as well. Those Malabar rites, part of the Chaldeans, never split. The bottom line, everybody, is we have a beautiful faith. Our Christian roots are deep. Our Christian, the Catholic roots are the original roots. You know how they say there are certain animals that are sprung from the original racehorse or the beautiful winner of the Kentucky Derby and all these other sired, he sired all these other ones. The original is the Catholic Church. From it came the Christian other groups of Protestants and Orthodox. But you can never top the original. And the original came directly from Jesus Christ. So please, as beautiful as these others in the traditions are, and they are beautiful, you can't replace the truth of our Catholic faith. So praise be to God that we are Catholic, be it Western or Eastern, Latin Rite or Byzantine or Maronite or Syriac or Chaldean, whatever it might be, we praise God for this gift in our faith and let us not give it up. And most of all, let's pray for our Orthodox brothers and sisters. In that Orthodox, we want them to come back to Jesus and they do too. But it's through the church, not the president of Russia, not the emperor. That's the whole issue. And I think that's what most of us don't understand. And I'm not trying to say you should understand. I didn't understand this until I talked to some very knowledgeable people, some theologians, Chris Sparks and others who really helped. Father Seraphim, he was the one to explain to me all about the Eastern Catholics. All of these notes, they came from my seminary class, but I forgot to mention, praise be to Father Seraphim. You know what he was? He was Ruthenian, part of the Byzantine rite. You saw Father Seraphim up here on this altar? He was Eastern Catholic. He was part of this church through the East. And so Father Seraphim taught me so much. And that's what I just shared with you. His legacy continues. So let us pray for unification. Let us bring us all back to Peter as Jesus originally intended. And let us let the church through the hands of God, lead us, not the state. That's my only issue, and that should be your issue too. Let's protect religious freedom. Praise be to God, and thank you for joining us. And let us pray now for the members of these churches and all civilians in Ukraine and Russia, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Thank you, and God bless you.
1: Please follow or subscribe to this podcast to receive the latest episodes and updates. If you have been blessed by this podcast, I invite you to leave a review. Reviews greatly improve our podcast ranking And God bless you.